0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Laura Leslie, WRL Capital Bureau Chief.
1: And I'm Brian Anderson, WRL State Government Reporter.
0: And we're let- watching the fallout from the elections this week, waiting to see who's going to be in control of the different chambers in Congress. Looks like the GOP is going to be in control of the House. And that means probably something of a promotion for uh, longtime
1: Congressman Patrick McHenry, I understand. Yeah, he's likely to lead this new uh, financial services committee as Republicans appear to have uh, regained control of the U.S. House, while Democrats appear to have held on to the U.S. Senate. Uh, And, you know, McHenry is a longtime congressman from North Carolina here. And this is really one of the reddest, if not the reddest districts in the state. Uh, So McHenry clearly reelected and he's going to have a a very important role over in financial services now.
0: He he sure is. And Richard Hudson also is going to be taking on a really important role. He's going to head up the NRCC.
1: Yeah, that's the group for for folks who aren't familiar that is going to have an outsized role in really determining where money goes in 2024. So Hudson is going to to shape which candidates get Money, uh, we saw Sandy Smith in North Carolina's first district not really get any outside spending from the NRCC or, or other conservative groups, and that played a role in, in her defeat. So, obviously, there's a very important role for Hudson in determining who can potentially be elected,
0: absolutely. Um, so anyway, we, um, we Okay, in the meantime, here a little closer to home, looking at the election, uh, we had some election worker intimidation and harassment that happened. Um, I think there were like six or seven instances of it that happened on election day as we're just learning. Um, one of them was in Wake County where somebody, a car actually followed an election judge. The judge was transporting the, the you know the tabulator machine, the ballots, uh, the, the stick with the data, you know, and followed this followed that judge all the way to the county board of elections fortunately the county board of elections was ready for it and they had um sheriff's deputies on scene and they were apparently they went over to talk to this driver who pulled over kind of in front of the board of elections and as soon as the deputies started walking this person took off so no one was arrested but in rowan county they had they had somebody i guess who grabbed a judge's arm and um grabbed her phone and threw her phone And cussed her out, and it's just like, wow. I mean, talk about people behaving badly. I mean, I can't remember anything like that ever happening in Wake County.
1: And fortunately, few in quantity of cases relative to, you know, two thousand five. I think 2,600 plus precincts. But it's just the tenor has certainly changed since President President Donald Trump, uh, former president, uh, denied the results of the 2020 election that he lost. And... You, we're seeing fallout from it still. Uh, heated rhetoric, heightened partisanship, and even some acts of intimidation that uh, have really no place. in. And these are election officials, just everyday people. These aren't career politicians in Washington, DC. Not that it's ever acceptable to to intimidate anyone, but these are ordinary folks trying to do their best to just administer a basic election, yeah, and that's that's what we have to keep in mind. With these are these are ordinary people doing important work,
0: you know, and that's very true. And and you know, as as uh, Karen Brinson Bell uh, over the state board of elections pointed out, you know, I mean, there's still very very few incidents given how many votes were cast. The vast majority of voters did not run into an incident. However, you know, as you were saying, these are normal people. They did not sign up for this, right? They did not sign up for combat pay, right? Uh, so, you know, this, it's, a, it's, it's not a good sign, and hopefully that dies down in the next election, although a lot of uh, election officials don't seem to be real hopeful that's going to happen. Um, so also, uh, otherwise, we're looking at, so, you know, as we talked about, the red wave kind of didn't materialize in a lot of parts of the country, and, um, and ac- according to polling experts, a lot of that was bad polls um who basically jumped on the bandwagon at the last minute and made it look like the gop was going to sweep you know the house with you know dozens of seats when that's not how that worked out but the gop definitely arguably did better in north carolina than they did in a lot of other states i mean if you think about it brian they swept all six of the judicial races and the senate race you know and you can't blame redistricting or, or gerrymandering for that these are statewide races
1: yeah i mean statewide republicans had a really solid night. And and that doesn't come as a terrible surprise given the national dynamics of an off year election, uh, an, an unpopular President Joe Biden, uh, a, an economy in worse shape than it was a year ago, and, and families still keeping that in the back of their mind. But, you know, this wasn't an election year where Democrats were dominated as potentially expected. I was looking at 538s ratings and, and rankings, and they said there was a 59% chance Republicans would get control of the U.S. Senate. That didn't happen. And there was an 80% chance Republicans would get control of the U.S. House. That appears to have happened, but certainly not by any commanding margins. It's right now, as we're recording this, uh, it's something like 218 Republicans, 210 Democrats, and seven uncalled races. So, I mean, you're talking about an incredibly razor thin majority and North Carolina didn't help Republicans at the congressional level. We saw a seven, seven split. uh, And that was arguably the worst plausible case for Republicans. And it really just came down to a coin toss race that Wiley Nickel won against Bo Hines in North Carolina's 13th district and a, a lean democratic seat in the first district that Don Davis won, but didn't win by the comfortable margins Democrats had hoped for.
0: Sure. Um, so we um, so looking at all that in the meantime, um, there, I mean, the dust had not even settled on this election when former President Donald Trump announced that he is going to be that was Monday night, I believe, uh, that or Tuesday night uh, that he's going to be running for reelection um so of course we wanted to know what our elected officials thought about it and over the course of the week we were able to ask um speaker Tim Moore Senate leader Phil Berger and also Senator Tom Tillis yesterday I was talking to him about this um generally not a lot of excitement about the 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 Trump re-entry here there's a lot of uh, a lot of wait and see a lot of gee it's too soon a lot of let's get Georgia settled first um you know I mean You have to admit, I mean, Trump was pretty good for North Carolina Republicans. I mean, they picked up seats when he was on the ballot. Um, They you know, and and he won the state twice. So it's 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 interesting to me that there's not at least a little bit more, let's call it lip service, you know, if not genuine excitement uh, to hear that he's back on the
1: ballot. I mean, here, here's the problem for Republicans. You have Donald Trump, who, who won the state in 2016 and 2020. That's that's true. But I mean, the candidates he's backed in 2022 performed, frankly, really terribly. Uh, you look at Madison Cawthorn in the primary losing to Chuck Edwards. Now, I know Trump wasn't full-throated uh, endorsement level excited about Cawthorn, but I mean, he did back Cawthorn and, and put his reputation out days before the primary to back Cawthorn. Cawthorn Lost that race. Uh, you also look at some of the most Trumpy candidates in North Carolina. Bo Hines, a Republican political newcomer, lost a winnable race. Sandy Smith, a hardline conservative, to put it mildly, right. uh, lost. And that was despite having $4.7 in ads against her. And you look at Don Davis, who had like $28,000 against him, like 2,000x multiple difference. So th- these are. These are th- this is sort of the the problem with getting too close to Trump. Now, someone can say, look, it worked out well for Ted Budd, but he yeah. also had sub- substantial outside money coming in from Club for Growth in the primary that may have in some ways been more influential than the Trump endorsement. Uh, so it's just a different dynamic in 2022 than I think we saw in 2016 or 2020.
0: Right. Um, one person that was excited, one uh, congressman, sitting congressman, you mentioned uh, Madison Cawthorn, was at Mar-a-Lago for the announcement, um, said that he, he was, said he would, he would die for Donald Trump, follow him until he died, I think he said. Um, and so in the meantime, he seems to have closed up shop pretty much in his district, and he doesn't seem to be showing up at, at, at Capitol Hill anymore. Um, but we are told that he um, bought a million-dollar-plus house down in, um, in Lee County, Fort Myers in Florida, uh, which is where my folks lived for a long time, which is why I know that. Um, but, um, you know, this is all kind of strange to me that, um, I mean, I guess when you lose your primary, then, you know, it's hard to get excited about doing the job. But it's also hard to make the case if you ever want to run again, uh, if you've if you sort of bailed on it before you were done.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he was not a, a, a constituent oriented candidate to put it uh, er, to to put it politely. I mean, he Uh, We we saw Chuck Edwards put out a tweet that said his Raleigh office uh, stands ready to help those who cannot get a returned call, sort of a a hinted criticism of Cawthorn, but basically saying, hey, Western North Carolinians, if you have a constituent services issue and you can't get through, I'm going to be your next congressman and and I'm going to focus my attention on serving your needs. So, I mean, certainly (laughs) unusual to see something like that.
0: Right. Um, and then a little, um, a little more from the election fallout. NC Values Coalition. So they were going around doing basically boot camps for school board candidates. Um, it's, a, I think it's a program. If, if I'm thinking of the right one, it's called B E S T. Best, but it might be a different. There's, there are various groups that are doing this but um the values coalition said that they had had some uh, success around the state and so for the first time they're going to start reaching into other counties starting in 2023 and they're talking about target counties now so we heard about this on twitter very interesting nc values coalition was behind the same-sex marriage amendment they were behind hb2 they're behind a lot of things that have you know not consistently worked out well for north carolina um, but and you can expect them to be very active next year, however, in the abortion debate. You know, what what are legislators going to do in terms of further limiting abortion? So clearly very much still in the game, still an important player, um, despite um, HB2 and and some other hits.
1: Yeah. And, and this is worth noting, this is a Republican controlled legislature coming into power that will be emboldened to take some more, maybe a, re- a return to more social issues than we had seen over the past two years. I mean, they're one house Democrat away or just absent Democrats away uh, from overriding a veto from, from democratic governor Roy Cooper. So I mean, we could see some of the most uh, ambitious, consequential, uh, potentially harmful pieces of legislation coming out of the legislature in 2023 and 2024. And, abortion certainly one of those top-of-mind issues
0: i think i i will be i will be surprised if we see things coming out that are more sort of socially conservative than we saw during the macquarie administration simply because they're you know the state was a little redder then i think and you know they had a republican governor who still didn't sign off on everything but you know but nonetheless they had, they had solid super majorities and a republican governor um the state is getting bluer and i think i think they know that and so as because more and more people are moving in here although it does tend to be limited to urban areas so i don't know how much that changes their um uh the calculus for them but it it seems to me like we may not see as extreme legislation coming out
1: as we would have say 10 years ago
0: just because of the 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 changes we've seen in the state
1: i mean total republican control would be hard hard to top but given given what we've seen over the last two years yeah seen seen an impossible. I think you've seen bills maybe come out knowing that they wouldn't end up happening, uh, and, right. and maybe that's why they've advanced. So I'll be curious to see if they continue that or if they sort of just stay more business growth oriented in the legislature and and limited in their focus. But the biggest pieces to watch for are going to certainly be abortion, maybe immigration, and definitely redistricting.
0: And, you know, winning this, as as Moore puts it, governing supermajority in the House makes it a little bit harder uh, for House and Senate leaders to kind of tamp down the folks at the farthest edges of their party. Right. Because they can they no longer have the opportunity to just say, you know, look, that's going to get vetoed. We're not going to take that up.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious what this means, especially on the House side for Medicaid expansion and, and the future of, of that. I mean, we had. Uh, it, it seemed sort of flip-flopped between where the House and Senate were on the issue of Medicaid and now this, the Senate's more embracing of a, a more sweeping policy and the House wants more limited, uh, a, a limited bill uh, and there was some talk of compromise, but I'm curious uh, what compromise might look like for a House that's as staunchly conservative as it's going to be.
0: And that doesn't really have to compromise much.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: exactly um to move on there's lots of other stuff um Senator, speaking of the nc values coalition they sent, came out this uh this uh, just yesterday actually against um uh Tuesday well no sorry I think it was yesterday against um Senator Tom Tillis and Senator Richard Burr uh, both of them Burr and Tillis are in favor of a bill they voted for cloture on a bill that's in the U.S. Senate right now that would basically um codify same-sex marriage and interracial marriage into federal law Um, as a way to sort of be a backstop against any possible future Supreme Court decision that might overturn it. You might remember that Clarence Thomas's um, concurring opinion in the Dobbs decision specifically mentioned uh, marriage as as a same sex marriage as something else that they should consider reviewing again. So this is kind of in response to that. Um, Tom Tillis actually played is playing kind of a key role because he's one of a group of negotiators that have sort of this bill was probably just going to die, you know, because it couldn't get the votes from the Republicans. Uh, but Tillis uh, started working with Kirsten Cinema and some other folks and came up with some religious uh, freedom language, <clears throat> basically saying, you know, this doesn't limit any of your, you know, your First Amendment freedoms, your religious expression freedoms. Um, to add to this bill to make sure that maybe it could pick up some Republican votes. And it did. It picked up 12 Republican votes on cloture. Now they're waiting until after the Thanksgiving holiday to take the actual vote. And I know that um, social conservative groups are pushing really hard on those senators to get them to change their vote. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see whether or not it has that much GOP support when it goes up for its actual vote after Thanksgiving. But then after that, it still has to go back to the House. And honestly, it's its fate there. You know, if they even get to it before the end of the year, it's fate there seems questionable.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is worth noting just how much has changed over the past decade, especially with Tom Tillis. It's, a, it's almost a complete 180 from how he was when he was in, in the legislature uh and it it's it's right i mean something that has so much momentum that the overwhelming majority of the public supports uh and we'll just have to see if it's another thing that gets on the chopping block in congress or if or or if federal lawmakers can actually reflect the will of the public
0: well i mean think about it i mean speaker was um i'm sorry tillis was speaker of the nc house in 2012 and that's when they advanced that um the same-sex marriage ban as a constitutional amendment and put it on the ballot. Right. Um, and we were the last state to pass that. Other states were literally repealing their bans the same year we were putting ours into the Constitution. And Tillis was speaker. So Tillis could have stopped it if he wanted to, but he didn't. But he said at the time he thought it would probably not last for more than a generation or two. Well, 10 years, I guess, is a little bit less than <laughs> a generation <laughs> or two. But, you know, as, as you point out, things have changed rapidly, um, culturally speaking, and, you know, Tillis basically said he he got involved because he saw an opportunity to defend religious freedom, and why not give all these families certainty to know that, you know, their marriages aren't going to be suddenly undone by, you know, a, a, a court opinion that nobody was expecting. Exactly. Um, I wanted to add one more thing, and that is Roy Cooper speaking at a gun conference yesterday, and this is a group called 97%. It's sort of billed as a bipartisan group that includes a lot of gun owners trying to come up with common sense gun control legislation. I was interested to see him as the national headliner for that, because it does kind of make you wonder what he's going to get up to after 2024. He's termed out, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, people have have chatted about him uh, potentially being a presidential (laughs) candidate in 2024. His name has has come up. Uh, Cooper has has not really uh, been vocal about embracing that, really. But he also necessarily hasn't distanced and ruled it out. I mean, it seems everyone's just waiting on on something formal from Biden uh, to to plot the next move for the Democratic Party. Uh, But Cooper is someone who could very well have a future in in federal office potentially i mean he, he will be termed out he's still very popular he won in a state that trump won in in 2016 and in 2020 uh and he remains popular widely among democrats and even has some crossover appeal with moderate republicans uh, yes so if, if anything that's certainly uh valuable traits for a vice president uh we'll have to see if if he actually wants to become a president.
0: You know, I'm just thinking here, but it's very interesting to me that on the Republican side, you're hearing people saying, "Okay, well, Trump is in former President Trump is in, but we're going to wait and see who else gets on the ticket before we make up our minds. Right. On the Democratic side, you're hearing a lot of, well, we're going to wait and see they're deferring, basically deferring to Biden. And I understand he is the current president, but nonetheless, it's it. um, It seems a little lopsided, I guess. You know, you're not hearing some Democrats making noise about getting into the race. You're not hearing a lot of Republicans making, you know, saying, saying that they should defer.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've seen winks and nods from Mike Pence about running. Ron DeSantis, when he won his reelection bid, folks in the audience were chanting two more years, uh, sort of encouraging him to to run for president. So we're not seeing that level of of heightened activity on the Democratic side. certainly.
0: Not yet, but give it time, right? Give it
1: time. Anyway, Absolutely.
0: I think, is there anything else that I missed that you wanted to mention?
1: Just two quick things, really quick. Uh, we have a good story on candidate quality and, and the impact that may have had in, in Congress uh, in North Carolina, particularly with Sandy Smith and to some extent concerns about Bo Hines. I invite people to check that out at wrl.com and just search NC Capital there. Uh, I also have a quirky news item uh, with these federal election commission reports. I just wanted to share. Uh, so basically, what happens is you, on a quarterly basis or on a less than quarterly basis, as an election nears, uh, these campaigns release these reports uh, showing their donations, contributions received. And so, what's supposed to happen is donors, individual donors, are not allowed to contribute more than twenty nine hundred per election. So if you contribute $3,000, uh, then the campaign is obligated to give you a $100 refund just to make sure that you're maxed out, stays maxed out, and you're not going over that. Uh, but there were some interesting findings uh, in re- reports from Ted Budd and Sherry Beasley. Uh, collectively, they had received, I think, about 71000 and and questionable uh, money, basically meaning from people donating too excessively or from uh, people who are with unregistered political organizations.
0: Right, political uh, organizations were, who don't follow federal rules in terms of keeping their money
1: sequestered. Exactly, and yeah. the one, there were two interesting items to me in the BUD report. One person donated $7,100 in a single transaction, which is a pretty <laughs> apparent and clear uh, red flag I asked How
0: do, them, how do you miss that, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I asked Bud's campaign what was up with that and and they've sort of said, yeah, we've, we've refunded all, all these people. It's just uh, it, there's some processing <clears throat> gaps between uh, when we report and when the FEC can acknowledge that uh, and basically saying, you know, we, at the time we were, we provided the report, we were still trying to figure out what was up with that one individual uh, and, and how to refund that properly. Uh, and the other case was, This woman who appeared to be some California realtor or or former real estate person in California, who by our count, Laura, had 181 individual contributions in the course of 77 days. Yeah. Uh, So and, and that person is currently owed back uh about twenty five dollars or twenty-six dollars something small. Yeah, because was- most
0: of these were small donations that they made through Winred. So there's Winred and Act Blue. They're kind of like the two, you know, the two fundraising platforms that Republicans and Democrats use. And so apparently this one was just kind of like leaning on the Winred, giving, giving, giving to Winred. And this is what, you know, some of it went to Bud and and holy, holy smokes. I I don't you know, even small dollar, I don't know what it's like to have the kind of money to make like 14 donations in a day.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like 50 it ranges from 50 cents to 95 dollars for perspective there were donations of pennies basically yeah i don't know
0: i don't know people (laughs) people man anyway all right well i think that is just about it for us um some great things to point out i want to note the assembly had a great story on mark robinson and his use of scripture really interesting stuff um and um and that's pretty much it Um, there's great stuff on nc capital if you haven't checked in this week you should definitely do that uh, and we will um, we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks for joining us.